Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at the Strad. Violinist Mahalia Edwards spoke to me recently about her approaches to teaching students in a wide range of scenarios, which call for actively involving pupils in music making and learning, and with Mahalia taking on the role of being the teacher that she would have liked to have had. Perhaps you're a string teacher interested in hearing some ways to inject inspiration into lessons, particularly after a holiday break or when students seem to become disinterested. Mahalia shares her ideas behind music lessons with a broad perspective and how teachers can also learn from their pupils. Here's Mahalia. Mahalia, welcome to the Strad podcast. So you're a violinist and you're a teacher. You know, I've been reading a little bit about you on your website and you've got a multitude of different teaching experiences and lots of different scenarios. So that covers, you know, one-to-one teaching, also in schools, whole class teaching, group teaching, online remote teaching, and you're also an ambassador for Black Lives in Music. So, you know, is it fair to say your teaching is driven by social change? Tell me a little bit about the approaches behind your teaching. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. It's great to be on. Yes, my teaching really is driven by my own learning experience in that I I started quite late to violin. I come from kind of a musical background in terms of my cultural background, but in terms of actually learning an instrument, I guess, seriously, I started seriously when I was at secondary school, so age 11, almost 12. And I had supportive teachers and I had lots of people kind of recognising my, my, I guess, potential but in lots of ways, I didn't receive the music education that I now retrospectively would have liked. So my own teaching is kind of me being the teacher that I would have liked to have um, to my pupils. And it's really driven by kind of music for its own sake in that sense that we can play music, yes, because it has benefits to the brain and development and all of these things that are really important. And it helps kind of with transferable skills, but also music because music is just an intrinsic part of what it means to be human. So kind of my, I guess, teaching philosophy is really powered by the individual who is making that music and them not just being sort of a participant, but actively kind of owning, taking ownership of their their musical kind of journey. Yeah, so that's my teaching philosophy, being the teacher that I would have liked, but also kind of actively involving my, my pupils, whatever their age or stage in kind of having agency in in the music they're making. I'm really struck by something that you said um, when I first met you a few months ago and you mentioned how you know music can have this trickle up effect and it was that phrase that really stuck with me you know trickling up however music is experienced by these students can have a greater change you know you know beyond the classroom you know when you're teaching in these different scenarios be it group or one-on-one teaching or remotely or in an educational outreach project you know what are you hoping your students will come away with again I think it's having whatever situation you're in whatever stage you're at that you can actually make music and I think sometimes especially pupils and those who are less experienced they kind of don't realize they're actually making music they think they're doing their rudiments which are really important and scales which are you know, a feature of every lesson, but sometimes they don't see beyond that as 
an actual form of making music. Sometimes it's just something that we do and it's not really music making. We don't see it as musical at all. So musical learning in terms of how we learn it and what we're doing and how we're experiencing it. I want them to take away that even if you're playing on your own, you're still making music. Even if you're playing in a group with other people doing exactly the same thing, or maybe they're not doing exactly the same thing and that's why it's tricky. Whatever you're doing, you're making music. Even if you're making one note, even if you're playing an open string, thinking musically about the sounds you're making and yeah, just trying to fine tune those sorts of, I don't want to say critical skills because it's a bit, that's not really that that um, significant, but in a way, yes, just thinking about what you're doing and thinking musically, because that's what it is. After all, it's music. Yeah, it doesn't need to be this seemingly um, unattainable level of perfection that yes. people are always trying to strive for. Yes, of course, we want to strive for improvement and self-betterment. But one thing that you mentioned before that I'm thinking about how you started relatively late, you know, in secondary school. And I think for a lot of violinists, it's quite common to start very, very young, isn't Mm. it? And uh, for some people, that's great. But there are the situations where people start because, and again, you mentioned this earlier, it's just what you do. It might be a box to tick just so that you can get that grade certificate, so that you can get that scholarship to that Mm. particular school, so that then you can say you've got your grade eight and that's wonderful and maybe you can get a scholarship that you're potentially in line for. I mean, how do you sort of remind students and often parents that it's about music making, it's about learning in a broader sense and, and enjoyment as well as just ticking those boxes it's a good question and it's very tricky because (laughs) what's really tricky about music lessons especially kind of one-to-one private sort of studio lessons is that although it's usually a younger person or a child who's the kind of recipient of those lessons is actually the parents who are kind of the consumers if that makes sense or or the or the carers or whoever's effectively paying for those lessons so it's appealing to kind of both parts of who's actually getting the benefit out of those and where that benefit is going but again for me it's what are you left with once you've got your certificate once you've hit that goal it's often it's okay we're going to go on to the next and I I do like that sense of ambition but I'm not sure if it's um, healthy or, or always or to the detriment of kind of being able to play at grade eight level but then what does that actually mean what 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 does that mean there's lots of us who I got to grade eight and I, there was still so much that I, I hadn't covered technique wise because of a particular situation that I just was learning lessons in a particular way. And that's how we did things. And I try and remind parents and, and children, OK, so we've hit that goal. But what does that mean? And I often just spend a lot of time in between sort of grade exams or before even approaching grade exams saying I want to kind of do this, that and the other and then we'll think about it. It's it's tricky. So it's, it's one of those things that I think all teachers um, come up against sooner or later. But yes, it, it's really about what are you learning, like you said, in a broader sense. And then how are the grades also, how are they applicable in other music making 
um, senses and that's what I really like about kind of the post kind of COVID or during COVID sort of um, remote exams because they brought in sort of ensemble pieces that you could do with a, your teacher or, or another person and I think it just added another perspective of what it means to be making music in kind of a, a formalised setting of and an, an assessed setting as well and that can include ensemble playing and indeed ensemble playing is what a lot of people enjoy about learning an instrument is that they get to make music with other people. Yeah, quite. I mean, I think we all remember from the pandemic how we weren't able to play with other people again. And 2020 is forever immortalised by a series of those edited Zoom videos of mm. you know 20 people on screen seemingly playing together. Um, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's trying to inject a bit of joy into music lessons. So for group lessons in particular, I don't know if you've been in this situation where you perhaps have half the class willing and really enthusiastic looking forward to the lesson and then you've got another half or another few pupils who just really don't want to be there so you know what do you do in that kind of situation where you're trying to balance the educational aspect of the lesson with making it fun and enjoyable accessible for everyone I always say especially in group lessons or sort of any ensemble coaching I always say we're as strong as the weakest player I don't necessarily say weakest but we're as strong as the the weakest player in the, in the sense that if somebody's really not enjoying this or if somebody's really not putting their everything that's going to come out in our sound it's going to come out in the product of what we're doing so I try and differentiate sort of towards kind of the lowest level of attainment then that's really great because it means that the people at kind of the the less experienced and they're not being alienated but also then you can have that sense of attainment and I can do this with the people who are at the higher end of the the kind of attainment and then challenge them and the people who are kind of still getting started they don't necessarily feel left out and they feel like they have a sense of responsibility in the team so that might be kind of creating a really simple but effective and necessary open string part so that they are kind of the the driving force and the the grounding for the piece and then differentiating sort of in layers on top of that making it fun by kind of using different repertoire is a big thing for me actually using different pieces and I guess challenging what repertoire actually means and when I spoke about agency with with young people that might not be might not be letting them choose 100% of the pieces 100% of the time because that also doesn't work in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) It might be that they get to choose from a a set of pieces or they get to choose uh, how they want to do it and how they want to present it in terms of a performance or just in, in the room where we are then and there but it's really tricky when you have different abilities different enthusiasm levels <laughs> different people that you know some people really enjoy challenges some people actually pushing outside of their comfort zone makes them feel uncomfortable it's challenging for them and that's something that I'm dealing with right now actually in one of my schools there's a child who's yeah they're just their attitude isn't great at the moment so <laughs> but um, because they we're doing difficult things we're moving on to that next level but actually when they get into their group lesson so they have individual lesson and a group lesson when they get into their group lesson suddenly they change and they're a bit more enthusiastic so that's something that I'm literally dealing with at the moment is how can I get and this particular child on board in their individual lessons where there's a lot more focus honed in on them and it's a little bit more technically centered so yeah it's it's a challenge but I think 
thinking sort of outside the box has really helped me. And looking even beyond string playing, actually, and thinking, well, what do brasses do who often leave, often play with ensembles all the time from the very beginning? What do other kind of instrument families do that might be transferable to um, not this typical kind of string pedagogy way of doing things? So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in my experience from teaching, which I haven't taught for many years now, but I did, did find like you've got to celebrate the little wins sometimes, mm. those little victories. And if you find that there's something that does work, then you can remember that and sort of store that away in the bank and think, OK, I'm going to use that in future. And it is really exciting when you get a child that all of a sudden is really excited about doing something. And I think it's important to remember and maybe assess why they might be excited and then see how you can apply that in future uh, scenarios. Do you have any examples of teaching from your experience where there's just something which has been so heartwarming, something that's happened in one of your classes, one of your lessons that's just made you feel like, oh, we've done a good job today? Yeah, a few. A few spring to mind immediately. A few years ago, I had a private student who had been learning for a few years, but to be honest, when they came to me, it was like they just sort of begun. So I kind of had an impression like, oh, they, they'd be a bit more experienced than they actually are, but they weren't. And we kind of had to go back to basics, open strings, kind of making sure they knew kind of how to change strings very clearly and actually know what the strings were and um, how to get there. Just really basic sort of um, beginner things. Then we, you know, added fingers on and all and, you know, different sort of bow strokes and things. I always start with scales and we do them in different rhythms and with different backing tracks and things like that. And I remember just, oh, it was painstaking and it was oh, sighing all the time. Scale. And then sort of maybe two, two months later, three months later, I was like, OK, give me a scale she was like, I love playing scales I'm like well you could have said before because you give me the impression that you didn't like it but I think just persevering through that and saying the scales are my favorite things and just hearing a child say that which I know for a lot of string players like it's when you get to the higher levels of you know your shrouding and your subject and everything like that it's like Ugh. but just hearing a child say that they love playing scales and it's actually the favorite part of their lesson it was really heartwarming for me oh that's really nice yeah, it's, it's like a sense of stability and sense of like, I can do this and a sense of also this is what I need to work on. I can understand why they would like that. But yeah, no, you're right. For a lot of string players, it's a bit of a daily drudgery that people exactly. feel like they have to get through. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And just to kind of give one more example, I think with my group teaching that I do in London, they have sort of, I think it's 90 minutes of violin lessons a week. It's quite immersive in that they have been doing musicianship in reception and then they got their violins sort of in the first term of year one and now the the children that I was teaching in, in year one from five years old, they're now in year three. And just seeing their journey from honestly kind of not knowing what to do with the violin and from that very young age and seeing some of them really flourish. Well, all of them have flourished, but some of them, some who I might not have predicted to be where they are now, just seeing their progression and their journey mm. is really incredible. And just to think that, you know, I had a hand in that. It's really yeah. lovely because I'm still definitely learning lots about the violin. Even, even now, I wouldn't say that I'm having accomplished 
loads and loads and loads there's still more there's always more but there's still lots of things that I would love to do myself so to kind of know that I had a hand in their in their progression and they're only seven years old so they've still got a lot more they've got a lot more to do by the time they finish say their primary school education it's just yeah it's really amazing and to be part of their musical lives in that way but also know how that might potentially put you know a musical kind of enjoyment and love of learning music put that sort of um on track in their lives it's it's it sounds really cliche but it's it's really heartwarming I think it's an amazing thing to be part of a child's life at that stage, you know, because you're not just a music teacher. You're never just a music teacher. You're so much more than that. And, you know, there's times where you'll be chatting to kids and they'll be talking about, oh, miss, my violin teacher said this. And you are part of their lives. They're talking about you, you know, to their other teachers, to their friends. And that has a wider implication, you know, beyond just the classroom you're so right and actually coming down the corridor every Wednesday when I go in and they're all going Miss May when is my turn it's really that's what they call me and it's really lovely because it's just so part of their their lives it's it's embedded into their daily lives and oh I love violin and when's my turn to come to violin and all these things that you know often parents Mm. say gosh I have to really fight to get my child to go to their lessons or whatever and just to have that infused as part of their their kind of daily school life is really special and it's you know unfortunately not every child has that but they do and I think it is a real tangible difference that it makes to to their lives yeah 100 percent. yeah I mean it's something special isn't it I mean like especially those kids that get pulled out of their classes to go and attend their one-to-one lesson or small group lesson and it's just something special that they get to do they're like yeah I'm coming out of maths to yeah. do my violin <laughs> lesson <laughs> it's like, I don't have I don't have to stay with the rest of the class it's just that little feeling of like oh I get to do something a little bit different and yeah yeah that carries carries through I think As we approach the holidays, the school holidays, the end of the year, and also, you know, the new year, it also comes with challenges of keeping children motivated, also teachers motivated, Mm -hmm. particularly coming back in January when we've just had, you know, holidays and perhaps students who haven't touched their instruments in a few weeks. So if there's any particular advice that you could give to teachers on how would they inject inspiration into their lessons at this tricky time of year yeah it's a really good point because it's and as you've said it's very easy for both sides to fall off track I'm a big fan of using technology and it's something that I'm still grappling with and still learning about but making sort of inspirational videos and I often just send it to parents on a WhatsApp um, sort of group or send it via email, inspirational videos or play along videos that is kind of really catered for that particular student. I know people have YouTube channels that they go to, but I like to make specific ones for my pupils because I, I know where they're at and I know exactly what we can do with with them and differentiate it specifically for them but I'm a big fan of making videos that they can play along with so there's no excuse to be like oh I forgot what I was doing or (laughs) I didn't really know where to start we can start with the video um so I like making videos I also really like um trading playlists so kind of like a some sort of practice challenge or a playlist challenge where they have to play they have to listen and then they have to create or compose whatever you buy like saying create because that means that's a bit broader in a sense and compose I think 
composition can be quite loaded and quite abstract actually for younger pupils. But I like setting some sort of playlist or playing challenge so they have to listen or we trade playlists and I have to do a bit of listening because <laughs> honestly I don't know half of the music that goes around <laughs> nowadays and it's really terrible because it, it means that you know in a way that my my musical kind of listening is, is becoming narrowed and I think it, it in, in some senses it does when we when we're working and we don't have mm. time to kind of indulge and explore so I like trading playlists just to you know keep down with the kids yeah. but also know what they're listening to and also build their sense of kind of taste and aesthetic and what are you listening to and that's also really valid as well so I like doing that just to kind of music part of their their lives even if their violin isn't coming out all the time especially if the the holidays where people are family or they travel or whatever just keeping musical kind of engagement in a deeper way as well keeping that as part of something that they can do every day even for two minutes even for five minutes so I do like trading playlists and I do like making um, videos and just checklists, I think. And you mentioned it earlier, but easy wins. Five things that you can do every day, even if you've got family over, even if you've got a busy time over the term holidays, you can do these five things. And that might be listening to a track. It might be playing your scale with this rhythm. It might be finding a backing track. It might be using your metronome app or an actual metronome if you have one on this speed. Just easy wins that it's not laborious or it's not, oh, but it's taken away from their fun when they have should have time off because I hear that argument sometimes from parents. But <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> well, for me, it's fun. But also that's what keeps it um, ticking over is just doing little and often rather than having a big gap and then going back to square one. And it's... Yeah, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And actually only just, it gets harder, the be- the better and the more advanced you get, it gets harder to kind of keep at that level. So little and often just doing little checklists, little quick, easy wins over the holidays that don't make it laborious or isolating over a time where people might be coming mm. together. But I do like trading the play- playlist because that's what I meant by that trickle up effect thing. Like children can influence us as much as we can influence them as as adults and as teachers. And I think their musical taste and their the way they think about things brings even at the most earliest levels a level of kind of artistry that they can take with them and who knows they might be at a stage where they do go to conservatory they do end up being you know someone that is an artist and to cultivate that from an early age can have an effect on you know their communities and the people that they have around them but also if they're empowered with knowledge um, and different musical taste they can bring that to whatever setting they're in and hopefully you know the industry or different institutions will be able to kind of look at that and be influenced by that in turn itself I think it works both ways giving the child a voice empowering them to use their voice and as you mentioned before develop their tastes and have confidence in what they like what they don't like and be able to speak up for that I mean there have been times where uh, you know you ask a kid oh how did this piece make you feel and a lot of the time they're like, uh, <laughs> they yeah. don't really know what to say because they're scared that they're going to say the wrong thing. I mean, exactly. that is a very crippling thing, isn't it? But, you know, if they're in a position where, as you mentioned before, giving you the playlist challenge, teaching you something, they take on the role of, of teacher. And then, you know, you can learn something from them, as you mentioned, trickling up. And then it becomes an exchange rather than you passing on everything to them. And hoping Precisely. that they absorb. <laughs> Precisely. And and I think also there's this false pretense that, 
you know, the teacher knows everything and we know a lot and we've some of us have trained very hard and been in institutions many years and learned from the best people in, in the world um, or, you know, nationally and internationally. But there's still more that we can learn. I think the best teachers are the ones that are constantly learning and staying curious yeah. and have that kind of student-like curiosity themselves and also almost like a childlike, play, playful kind of curiosity yeah. themselves. So I do think it's really important to not perpetuate this kind of false pretense of I know everything all the time because a it's not true but also it undermines uh, people's capacities for critical thinking and for thinking outside the box and for challenging what we say and what we hear and it's okay not to like the piece that you're playing maybe we have to do it because it's it's just where what we have to do at the moment Mm -hmm. but it's okay to have an opinion that is is different and just to pra- practice those kind of justification skills and higher order thinking, all these things that offset and different places one was want us to do. But yeah, I think it's okay, and especially with something like music, where it really is. Ju- it's just like I said at the beginning, an intrinsic part of being a human being. Everyone has their own experience with that. It's not something you can necessarily teach. Yeah, yeah. We've always got more to learn. There's so much that we don't know. Mahalia, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the Strad. I've been a, a reader and a listener for many years, so it's just a, it's an honour to be on. That was Mahalia Edwards. What are your strategies for successful inspirational music lessons? Drop us a line at the strad at thestrad.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. This episode is the last one for 2023, so I just want to thank you for your support. We've reached 105 episodes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and here's to many more episodes in 2024. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a review or rating. It will help other people discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for new episodes in 2024. Take good care. Bye.